0: Great music this morning. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this morning we recognize that all authority belongs to you. That every molecule of this universe acknowledges that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that someday every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And we're praying for us that will be today, Lord. That we'll not only give lip service to your Lordship, but we will live like you are Lord. Lord. We will surrender our wills to you and say, Your kingdom come, your will be done, because you have all authority. All power belongs to you. And we thank you, Lord, that that great power is for great purpose, that we might make disciples of all nations. God, give us your heart for the world. Open our eyes to see in our city that the nations of people, Lord, from all over the face of the earth who need to know the good news of Jesus Christ. And Lord, while we're honoring you and your great power and fulfilling your great purpose, we want to thank you for your great promise that you are with us. God with us. Emmanuel always with us. High or low, everywhere we go, you are with us. I only ask on behalf of the people in my hearing today that you who are with us, Lord, would help us to be with you in all we do, Lord. Help us to align our lives with you. I ask it in Jesus' name, believing. Amen. Amen. Well, what an amazing week we had. I was down in... Galveston this week with my pastor friend, Reverend Carrie Tillman, and we had revival down there. I don't know if anybody else was revived, but let me just bear witness and say I was. Just worshiping with God's people and singing and celebrating, and uh, I have to tell you, I'm going to need your help this morning because I receive so much encouragement when I'm I'm preaching at uh, the West Point Church. If I say something, I hear amen, and Uh, If I'm wrong, I hear, help him, Jesus. I didn't hear that a lot, which was good. My friend told me, he said, if they say, Lord, have mercy, a lot, that's not good. And I said, okay. But lots of encouragement and just a sweet spirit. And uh, good news on November 21st, I believe it is, that Sunday night before Thanksgiving, we'll have the Lord's Supper together. Our churches will share in community together that night. It'll be a great, great evening. You put it on your calendars. You know, I've always loved a great mystery. My whole life, when I was in the sixth grade, my teacher, Mrs. Stahl, introduced me to Agatha Christie. And then there were none. That great mystery. And then I I loved the Sherlock Holmes books. And imagine at this point in my life discovering Will Thomas, who writes Sherlock Holmes-like mysteries about a Baptist in Spurgeon's Victorian England, a member of the Metropolitan Tabernacle, this detective is always revealing some mystery. And I particularly like it when the mystery is resolved. It's important. Is it for you as well that the mystery not be sort of left? I I don't like uh, unresolved mysteries. I don't like them saying, tune in next week and you'll get the rest of the story. I like it all to be wrapped up with the bow. Amen? Okay, you're doing well. And so I was just um, thinking this week about Calvin Miller's story about the lonely traveler on a dark and stormy night who found himself in the midst of a great thunderstorm battered by the elements. He was trying to find some source of refuge and noticed a manor there in the forest and he knocked on the door and it rang out with a hollow bang. And then after a dramatic pause, the door swung open. And eventually, a man came around the door. He was the abbot, the head of that monastery, who welcomed the lonely, wandering traveler into the fold. And they gave him some food, and he warmed by the fire. And they said, Would you like to spend the night here instead of going back out into the storm? And he said, Well, I would like to, but if I were to, I would need your help with some things. And they said, Well, what would you need? And he said, Well, I would need a rubber suit, and I would need a bass saxophone, and I would need a pound of butter and two duck eggs, and Three turnips fresh from the garden. That's all I need. And they, being servants as they were, willingly gave him those things. But that night, after everybody went to bed, there were the, the, the strangest noises. A, a cacophonous noise emanated underneath the crack beneath that door. They didn't know what he was doing, but they all wondered what he was doing. And the next day, the storm continued and they asked him to spend the night again. He said, Well, I could. If I could use the rubber suit again, and if you would give me the bass saxophone and a pound of butter and two ducks, eggs and 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 three um, turnips if you would and they said certainly well by the third night nobody had slept for three nights and and the fourth day the sun rose and the man said I'll be leaving now and the abbot walked out with him and said would you just help us with something we've been kind to give you what you've asked for each night and we've heard that noise and we just wonder what were you doing in there and he said, well, it's a family secret, and I really can't tell you. I mean, you'd have to promise never to tell a soul. And the abbot said, well, I would never tell a soul. And, uh, and so he told him. And the abbot kept his word. He never breathed a word. And so we will never know what he was doing in that room. See, we don't like unresolved mysteries, do we? The good news is, The good news is the great mystery of the ages is no longer a secret because it has been revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you open your Bibles with me? Ephesians chapter 3. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 1 to 13. Paul's about to pray again and you don't want to miss next week because we're going to talk about Paul's prayer and about our God who is able. Just, Just let that resonate in your soul all week long our God who is able let's stand together and hear the word of the Lord Ephesians chapter 3 sharing the sacred secret Ephesians 3 verse 1 for this reason I Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles then not in the text but see it parenthesis Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs Together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me To his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Thank you. You may be seated. Paul was trying to pray. For this reason, he's about to say, for this reason, I bend my knees. For this reason, I lift my voice. But as he's about to pray, he says, for this reason, oh, he says, you do remember, parenthesis, the great eternal purpose of God through the ages that by his grace, he might not only save us, but that by his grace he might send us into the world with the mystery of Jesus Christ now revealed. And here it is that Gentiles, you and I, most of us in this room, Gentiles can become. Heirs together with Israel. We can become part of the family of God without, by the way, becoming Jewish first. And just preaching that message got Paul in a lot of trouble. I'm convinced that if Paul had not preached that message, he would have died of old age. But because he insisted on fulfilling God's great purpose for his life, because Paul could never get over grace. He had to tell the story of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, which got him in trouble with the Jews who arrested him. And then he appealed to Caesar. And he writes this letter from a prison cell in Rome and says, even now, as a prisoner, of Christ Jesus. God is working out his great purpose. What did Alfred Lord Tennyson write? I doubt not that through the ages one great eternal purpose runs and the thoughts of people are broadened by the process of the sons. There is one great purpose in history and that purpose has everything to do with us Have you found your great purpose? Have you found your reason for being in this world Paul had? Paul couldn't get over grace. Dare I ask? Have we? Have we gotten over grace? Have we ceased to be amazed by the grace of God? Because when we understand His grace and His great purpose, when God's great purpose becomes our great purpose, then everyone who knows us will know that we know the Lord Jesus Christ. For that purpose, Paul was willing to suffer. Listen to him say, "The, the mystery of this grace of God causes me to be a prisoner, he says, of Jesus Christ. Wait, I thought he was a prisoner of Caesar. I thought in Rome that Caesar was in charge, but then Paul always thought that there was one who was Caesar's boss. That the Lord Jesus Christ would work all things, that the Lord Jesus Christ would work all things together for good for those who loved him and were called according to his purpose. And Paul loved him and Paul was called according to his purpose. So even though the, 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 the Emperor Nero thought he was in charge, Paul says, I'm Christ's prisoner. In other places, he says, I'm Christ's servant, I'm Christ's bondservant, I'm his slave, I belong to him. So in response to that book that came out in 2006, The Secret, it's a kind of new age kind of thing. It basically says if you'll think positive thoughts, only good things will ever happen in your life. That that would have been shocking to the Apostle Paul because the secret for him was not that you and I could, by positive thinking, change our lives. The secret for him was... When we were helpless and hopeless, Jesus Christ died for us. That was the only hope the Apostle Paul had. That's why he was willing to be in prison. If he had thought that by positive thinking he could have been released from the prison cell, well, that would have come as a revelation to him because he was in prison because God had him there for that period of time. Philippians chapter 1, he says, For me to, die, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He says, Even while I've been in prison... The gospel has gone out to the Praetorian Guard. That's the elite troops who guarded the emperor. One of them was apparently chained to Paul. And Paul said, I was walking down the road one day and the mystery was revealed to me when I was blinded by a dazzling light and I met Jesus Christ whom I've been persecuting and my life has never been the same. And that soldier became a Christian and he told his friends. And Paul says, now, just because I've been imprisoned, the gospel has gone out. God's sovereignty will prevail. His sovereign grace will work through every circumstance in our lives. And Paul goes on to say, Don't be discouraged, verse 13, by my suffering. It's for your glory. He says a couple of times in these verses, It's for you that I've been imprisoned. How can Paul say that? Read Acts chapter 21, verse 29, where it says, Because he was with Gentiles in Jerusalem, they accused him of taking Gentiles into the temple. Remember, we've been talking about the wall has come down in Christ, but the, the Jews didn't believe that at that time, a particular group of them, and they arrested Paul on the charge of fraternizing with Gentiles, but Paul was guilty as charged of loving the Gentiles and wanting them to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says, I am suffering for you. It wasn't extraordinary for Paul to think about suffering because he knew that he was a prisoner Of the one who had died on the cross. I want to say that again. Paul never felt entitled. He was not a consumer of a religious experience one hour a week. Paul was a servant of the Most High God. So if his master said, You're in prison for a while for the sake of doing what I've called you to do, Paul did not resist that. Did you read this week about? uh, Lu Xiaobo, this um, dissident over in China who received the Nobel Prize this week, he is in prison because he had the audacity to want his people to be free and to experience democracy. The Apostle Paul could say, I'm in prison because I have the audacity to want the Gentiles to be set free spiritually. That's why I'm in chains. I'm in chains, he says, for you. And for you, I'm willing to suffer. And there is a purpose in this world that is worth the investment of our whole lives that is worth our suffering and the difficulties that we endure. It takes away our sense of entitlement. It takes away our sense of, but I have my rights. Paul never claimed his rights, he said, but instead he was interested in the Gentiles coming to know Jesus Christ. And so he was willing to suffer. And through the years there have been many who have suffered. We sometimes think that martyrs are an artifact, an historical idea from the first century I've researched this week. More people died for the cause of Jesus Christ between 1900 and 1999 than in all of the 19 centuries before that put together. In this this century that we're in, on average, 160,000 people a year die for the cause of Jesus Christ. That's roughly about uh, 400 and some martyrs a day. 1.3 1.3 million in the country of Sudan alone. This is the world that we live in where real people suffer real problems for the sake of their relationship with Jesus Christ. I know we're a bit insulated from that, grateful for our freedom here. But we are part and parcel of a bigger kingdom of God where people are paying a real price for their commitment to Jesus Christ. And that alone should give us pause. Elizabeth Elliot said, not even dying a martyr's death is extraordinary obedience when you're following a Savior who died on a cross. No wonder Karen Watson went as a missionary. No wonder she wrote a letter in case something happened to her. And when something did happen to her and she died for the sake of Christ, the letter was returned to her family. They gave it to their pastor and the letter simply said, Pastor, if you're reading this letter... It must be that I have died. She sent greetings then to family and friends in the church. And her her bottom line, the end story for her was, obedience was my choice. Suffering was expected. His glory is my reward. In other words, I'm willing to die if God is glorified. in that. that's Paul's story. He says, don't be discouraged, verse 13, by my suffering. Why? Because my suffering will result in your glory. For Paul, suffering was only a station on the way to glory. The thorn room was only a station on the way to the throne room, that those who suffer with him will also reign with him. Paul lived his life for that. I wonder, do we comprehend that? Would we suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ? Would we suffer? inconvenience would we suffer difficulty if we knew that through that God would be glorified in us Paul says I'll not only suffer for it but he says we who have come together we suffer and we serve in community in verse 6 he says I'm willing to serve the community of faith notice how he uses the word together three times there he says we are heirs together we're members of one body together he says we are those who share in the grace of God, together. And Paul says, I'm willing to serve. I'm willing, verse 7, to be a servant of this good news that has brought us together in community. Viggo Mortensen, who played uh, Aragorn in the Lord of the Rings trilogy of movies, was asked what he thought those books were about. He had played the role. He was the actor who, who carried that part. They asked him, what did it mean? He said, well, it's really about living in relationship with other people is learning that life is not about ourselves, about our wants and our wishes. It's about being part of a community together where we're stronger together, we're smarter together. We, we live better lives, he said, when we get over ourselves. When we get Get over ourselves. Is that what Jesus meant in Luke 9.23 when he said, If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. I have a good friend in our church uh, who served as a chaplain in the military, was with the Marines, is now suffering from the effects of Agent Orange. His doctor said to him, he emailed me, his doctor said to him, Do you have a bucket list? He said, "I, I don't yet. He said, You need to get one. You need to get a bucket list. But this friend of mine, he loves to quote a German word to me, nachfolge, that is to follow after. If anybody wants to come after me, discipleship is about following the, the Savior who died on a crimson cross. It's about giving up our lives. It's about being a servant. The word in, chapter, in, in, in this chapter in verse 7 is diakonos, deacon, we're ordaining a deacon tonight, Mike Melchiori. But to be a deacon is to kick up dust while waiting on tables. It's not grand and glorious. It's part of, of serving, not just the community, but serving with humility. It's why Paul says in verse 8, I am less than the least of the saints. Reading commentaries this week, I was reminded Paul created a word here. The word is least-er. I'm less than the least. I'm the lesser most. He said, if you made a list of all the saints, I would be at the bottom. Now he says in 1 Timothy 1.15, if you made a list of all the sinners, I'd be at the top. Paul has a clear perspective on what God has done for him. He's the least of the saints. He's the foremost of the sinners. Do you understand why he, he can't get over grace? Why he can't comprehend that God would choose him who was persecuting the church. And he says, now I get to serve the church. I get to serve in community. I get to serve with humility. Life is not about me, he says, And I love that humility of the Apostle Paul. I think it's wrapped up in, by the way, even the change of name from Saul to Paul. I had never thought about this till this week. But Saul of the tribe of Benjamin, who was Saul? Paul's namesake was the king of Israel. Saul, who was head and shoulders taller than everybody else in the land. But when he became a follower of Christ on that first missionary journey, he began to go by his name, Paul. He was probably Saul Paul of Tarsus. Paul, the Roman name. You know what it means? Little one. No wonder he went by Saul before he became a Christian. Little one. Just think if you were Hispanic and it was Pablito, little Paul, or you were Italian, Pauli. Here is little Paul. Josephus tells us about him, that he wasn't a tall man, that he was bow-legged, that he was bald-headed, that he was pungent and poignant and pugnacious, and he wasn't much to look at. He was a diminutive little man, little Paul, who became a giant in the kingdom of God because he was obedient to God's call. He was willing to be a servant. And the church needs servants. You say, Pastor, how can I serve? Well, if you're able to uh, park off campus, serve in that way. If you're, if you're able to help us care, for our special needs. We have a ministry called Little Treasures. Uh, The treasures are our special needs kids from the the cradle to to adolescence. We care. And there is a group of uh, sacred servants in this church who love those treasures in Jesus' name like David loved Mephibosheth. They care for these and invite them to the table at Tallawood and love them and minister to their families And we will need more and more to share in that ministry. Because every time somebody in Houston finds out that we have that ministry, they come to this church. And I'm telling you, it is as close to the heart of God as anything else we do in this church. There are places to serve. There are ways that you and I can be involved. We're going to need VIPs who will take care of the children in the early hour and the late hour. And there are people every week who give three hours of their week, not just two hours of their week. They buy all three hours. One hour they serve, one hour they're in Bible study, and one hour they worship. And they commit themselves to that. And I challenge us as a church to join in that ministry of servanthood. This humility is incredibly refreshing. And God calls us to this kind of humble service. Paul says, I will suffer for this mystery. It's no mystery that I will suffer for. it. It's no mystery, he says, that I'm a servant. He says, I want to share this mystery with everybody. Do you hear it there in verse 9? He says, God's plan is that the whole world will know that Jesus Christ is Lord. He wants to make it known to everyone. Verse 9. Everybody he knows, knows that he's a follower of Christ. Even the Roman guard who's, who's uh, chained to him knows that he's there because he's a follower of Jesus Christ. I wonder if that's true of us. I, I read this week about Billy Graham. Uh, his Publicist, the media director of the company, the Larry Ross company that handled public relations for the Billy Graham Association for all those years, told about Billy Graham. He said he had worked in, in public relations for years. And every time they interviewed a CEO and they did the mic check, they would say, Say something. And the CEO would say, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, or A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K. He said they would talk about what they had for breakfast. But every time they did a mic check for Billy Graham, you know what he said? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And he asked him one time, Larry Ross asked Billy Graham, why do you do that? And he said, well, maybe in the interview, the way they ask the questions, maybe the way they end the interview, I won't get a chance to express clearly the gospel. But if I say it the first time I'm doing the mic check, at least the cameraman... We'll hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Larry Ross said, if you ask Billy Graham how he got his suits pressed... He would turn it into a conversation about Jesus being the only way to salvation. We are heirs to that tradition. It starts with the Apostle Paul. It flows through Billy Graham. It flows through our Baptist forebears. A little book about Baptists in the South tells about Daniel Marshall who was put on trial in these United States of America before the separation of state and church. And in Georgia, he was put on trial for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they put him on trial. And when the judge silenced him, his courageous wife in the background was quoting Scripture to the judge. The result that day was they dismissed the charges. And, oh yes, the judge the chief witness, and the prosecuting attorney all became followers of Jesus Christ that day. That's your tradition. And what if you and I lived up into that tradition that that with the Apostle Paul, we wanted everybody, everyone, everywhere to know the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul says, we don't just tell people. He says, we are informing the angels. Look at verse 10. He says, God's great purpose is that through the church, through you, the angels long to look into these things. The angels and the demons, the powers and the principalities in the heavenly places. We're serving notice to them that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. So that everything in all creation will know that Jesus Christ is Lord Paul is desperately concerned that this good news go out. It is the great eternal purpose. It's what drives him. It's why he gets up in the morning. It's why he doesn't mind being in chains. Because God's eternal purpose, verse 11, is accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And as we put our faith in him, he says, we will have confidence. There's a lot of value in being able to keep a confidence. When somebody entrusts you with a secret, you ought to be able to keep it. But Paul says, this is not about a confidence we keep. This is about a confidence we live. We have confidence in Christ to share the good news of Jesus Christ with all people everywhere. It is no secret. My friend, Kerry Tillman, thankfully, he bailed me out. At the end of every one of my sermons, he came up and sang it. Oh, that man can sing. He'll sing that night that we have the Lord's Supper together. And, And he was singing, it is no secret. You know the Stuart Hamlin song? what God can do, what He's done for others, He'll do for you. With arms wide open, He will pardon you. It is no secret what our God can do. No, it's no mystery that God sent His only Son into the world to die for us. The mystery is that we who have received that message are somehow strangely silent about our relationship with Him. There's no room for crypto-Christians, for secret followers of Jesus Christ like those in John chapter 11 and John Chapter 12, who are followers of Jesus, only secretly know. Let that not be said of us. Will you this week share the secret of Jesus Christ with everybody you can? Or will you leave them like the abbot waiting in wonder? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence in this place. God, make us those who share the sacred secret. It changed our lives, Lord. Now help us, I pray, to tell somebody this week, even if we have to suffer, humiliation, somebody not caring what we think, changing our reputation, Lord, we're not interested in preserving our reputation, but in increasing the renown of the Lord Jesus Christ in whom we have found unsearchable riches. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.